To a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. going out to Salem, Oregon for today's Song of the Soul to visit with singer-songwriter Olivia Biko. She's got a powerful spiritual journey to share with stops along the way at a variety of churches, including UCC, Lutheran, and currently Freedom Friends Church, where she shares some of the ministerial functions. Music is inextricably bound up with her spiritual journey, and Olivia Biko will share the struggles and riches of her voyage today on Song of the Soul. Olivia, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It's a joy to be here. You're joining us from your home over there in Oregon. You haven't lived out there all your life. I believe you're a Midwesterner of origin, aren't you? Yes, I am. I was actually born in Wisconsin and raised in Illinois. Well, that bodes good things for this interview, then. What took you out to Oregon? It's rather a long story about how I actually got here, but the short version is that it was school and it was God really working things in my life, and I had sensed a call to ministry and was trying to figure out what that was going to look like, and I had planned to go into art therapy for my education, and Merrillhurst was a wonderful possibility for that. Some friends took me to visit the campus, and it was one of those experiences where literally the sky opened. I mean, it had been very rainy and and awful weather, and the sun came out, and I just had the sense that this was where I was supposed to be. And if I know anything about the weather out there, the clouds closed in, and it hasn't shown the sun once since you've been there. (laughs) Well, that's what we tell people, yeah. We like to keep our green areas green, so we sort of fib sometimes. 
you're also a musician. I mean, you were talking about going to an art school. You talked about being in the ministry. Are you just the perfect Renaissance woman and, and a musician and everything? Perfect by no means, but I am multi-gifted, and I am a musician, and my training at Merrillhurst ended up being interdisciplinary studies. So I was doing visual art, music, and religious and spiritual studies. And how do those go together for you? Since this is Song of the Soul that we're dealing with, it seems ideal since you are so religiously attuned and musically attuned. Those don't always go together for folks. That's very true, but I found for me that creativity was definitely a life-saving thing for me in my early life. I grew up in a very abusive home. Alcoholism was rampant and violence, various types of abuse. And one of the ways in my young life that I dealt with those things was to draw and write and paint and sing. I also was very much into sports, so I dealt with my home life by doing creative things, and that's remained true in my adult life as well, that I just am kind of wired that way, and Freedom Friends, which is a church that I am a member of the community, allows for people to worship in many different ways. We have an art table, and we do some music, and there are people who knit or, or do other things while they're sitting in quiet worship. I find that I'm not the only one that either needs that or is just wired that way. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about your community, but I want to get us started on the music right away. And I have the sense, call it intuition, you told me which songs you want to include in your list. When you said you came from a household with abuse... I said, that's why she chose her first song. Was I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. How Could Anyone, which was written by Libby Roderick, has been a very important song for me personally, but also for many people that I meet and that hear the song. They're very touched by it. There's something very important that people do. We talk about healing prayer and we talk about standing in the gap with people or for people in prayer. And this is one of those songs that my experience was that someone had, you know, stepped into that gap, Libby in this case, and written a song that said, how could anyone, how dare they treat you anything less than who you are? It's been a, a real blessing to me. It really touches many people as, as, that I meet along the way. The song goes, how could anyone ever tell you you're anything less than beautiful, you know, precious? That tells me something about, I think, your theological outlook right there. Because some people believe that we're born, conceived in sin, and that that's the dominant part of it. I guess that's not your point of view. No, it's not. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of Phil Gulley's writing, but I really do believe that God sees us all as precious and beautiful and wonderful. And I think it's the world that, that knocks our corners off and sometimes knocks the wind out of us and what leaves scars. Yes, I am familiar with Phil Gulley's writings. As a matter of fact, I've had him as my guest twice and also his co-author, Jim Mulholland and he have both been on my show and we've talked about if grace is true 
and if God is Love, as well as the Harmony books, and great author. He's one of my favorites, absolute favorites. But let's listen to the song. For those who don't know it, they're in for a treat. The song is How Could Anyone? And it's performed by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Olivia Biko. How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul Oh, how deeply you're connected How deeply you're connected Oh, how deeply you're connected To my soul That was Olivia Biko singing How Could Anyone? Olivia, I want to mention right away You have a website uh, If people want to connect with your music And connect with you How should they do that? Um, my website is www.oliviabico.com And it's A-L-I-V-I-A-B-I-K-O Many people forget the A that it starts with That name's a little bit unusual Biko, I think I, Stephen Biko is the only one I can think of He's from Africa somewhere, right? Is Olivia your birth name? It's just a little bit off the main path Yes, it is, and this is a name that God has given me. Part of my healing process was to say to God, you know, I really hate my birth name. I have never felt like it fit me. My given name was Cindy Sue McDonald. Part of the healing process for me was to ask God to show me what my true name was. And it took about three years or so for each part of that name to come, and Biko is after Stephen Biko. I have been a freedom fighter all my life, and so God gave me Stephen Biko's name to symbolize that. And the name Olivia came from the word alive. There were many times that I should not have survived, and I did more than survive. I am alive, and 
living a joyful and free life. My middle name is Bright Maple, after the maple tree, which also represents my Cherokee heritage. Well, it's real nice to meet another person out there who went through the conscious act of choosing their name. As you know, my surname, Helps Meet, is the name that Sandra and I chose when we got married. Did you have to go through a big legal process to change your name? How challenging was it, especially if some of our listeners are interested in maybe following in footsteps? Actually, it wasn't very onerous at all. The revealing of my name took about three years, but the actual changing of it. I, when I moved to Oregon, I just legally changed my name. So that way, when new people met me, they weren't so confused. And my family is still confused to this day. And it, it's it's been almost 20 years. It wasn't very hard, and I was able to do it myself. I did not have to hire a lawyer. I just went and got the correct forms and filed them at the court. I had to publish something in the newspaper. And then a few months later, a judge signed it. So it wasn't very hard at all. It's pretty wonderful to choose your name and to identify to the world who you are. That's right. It really is. It's, it's empowering and healing and, and a blessing to be able to choose how you wish to spend your life breath. Well, if I know you, you want to spend a lot of that life breath singing. So I think we should go on to song number two, which is about using your voice for joy. Tell us about song number two. Well, Joy Comes was written after a very long and difficult time for me. In the early 80s, I had moved away from my family. I was living in California, and my mother attempted suicide. And so I actually ended up moving back home to be closer to them because I had the sense that she was not going to be alive much longer. She had struggled with depression all her life, the suicidal behaviors you know, all through my childhood into my adulthood were constant. There was not much relief for her. So she killed herself in 1983. In 1984, I collapsed with kidney failure and was diagnosed with lupus, and I almost died. I spent many, many years trying to find the correct combination of medical care to get this thing into remission. It didn't happen for a very, very long time. Part of the lupus was also that I was very depressed, and I became suicidally depressed. And it also could have been, you know, for me, genetic, who knows. But I was at a workshop, a writing workshop, in Rockford, Illinois, and I was watching everyone else in the workshop. I'm very much introverted. And I was very puzzled about these other women who were experiencing joy in their life. I, I listened to the story of this woman who had recently lost her husband to a very dramatic illness. She suffered along with him. She also had lupus and suffered very, in very many of the same ways that I did. She told a story about watching the birds at the bird feeder in the morning and describing the incredible joy that she experienced when watching them. And I was just flabbergasted and puzzled and wondered, how the heck do you live the life that you live and still find joy in it? And so that became a question of mine to God. And this song is what God gave me in response. 
Joy comes in the morning, joy comes all day long, joy comes in the evening, when you sing to me your song. It was really a lovely thing, and God affirming me in my singing, he really nailed it, you know. I do experience joy when I sing, and it doesn't really much matter what's going on around me.
Joy Comes in the Morning. It's by Olivia Biko, who's here with me today. I say she's here with me, but in fact, she's in Salem, Oregon, and I'm, of course, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And Olivia, what was your upbringing religiously? My family, most of them were members of the United Church of Christ, UCC. But I think between the time I was born and the time I was five, I probably only went to Sunday school five times. But I did learn the song, Jesus Loves Me, which you'll notice is on my first CD, but I did not choose it for today. That song is very dear to me because for the rest of my growing up years, I really did not go to church at all. My family was not church-going And we didn't talk about spiritual things. From an early age, I had a consciousness of there being some sort of God or divine being. I mean, I would have dreams where I would see these hands that I would be afraid of because my experience in my childhood was that hands hurt me. But later, when I had the dream again and then recognized that I'd had that from the time I was a small child, I realized it was the hands of God reassuring me that I was going to be okay and that I was not alone and that healing would happen through those hands. When you made the move over to the West Coast, California and then Oregon, how did that coincide with your sense of being called towards ministry? And what kind of ministry are we talking about? My conversion experience, which is what many people would call it, and it truly was for me a conversion experience, was when I was in the hospital having had my kidneys fail and was diagnosed with lupus, a woman came into my hospital room that I knew. Her name was Carol, and she brought with her a woman who was a pastor whose name was Michelle. When those two women walked into my room, I knew that they had something. They had a sense of peace, and some sort of presence came in the room with them. I saw it, and I felt it and I experienced it in a really deep part of me, and it was as if light entered the room, and I'm not talking about the kind of physical light that we see, but it was another kind of vision. I'm not sure how to describe it, but I knew that I wanted something that they had. Michelle actually asked me if she could pray for me, and I had never had the experience before of someone respecting me so much that they asked permission to pray for me. I said yes, and it was in those moments of prayer and of being quiet that I experienced uniting with Jesus. And so that was the beginning of my actively seeking God, because after that, what some would call a mountaintop experience, I also had valleys and very dark places. And so after having experienced that, it's like you can never go backwards. You know that's a possibility, so you look for it. And you look for that person or that being or that however you describe it. You try to make yourself available for that to happen again. So that was a part of my seeking after that, and I did start attending church. And I went back to the UCC church, being the place where I started, and that's the place where I knew and was most familiar. And that also, coincidentally, was where Pastor Michelle was doing her work. So for a number of years, she met with me and and prayed with me and studied the Bible with me. And we had many, many conversations that were deeply helpful to me. And in a way, 
it was like getting in that one and a half to two years time, getting all the information that I didn't get growing up. And I was a sponge. So that was a deep blessing to me. Then later, 10 years later or so, was when I experienced being called the ministry. And what that was going to look like, I didn't know. I thought it was pastoral ministry, but wasn't sure. Ended up in the Lutheran Church and exploring my call with my church family. One of the questions I had as you were speaking, you talk about your conversion experience. I think it's pretty common in our society that people talk about their conversions experience as when they see their sinful nature and give it over to God. And it sounds like instead what you found was the light and went straight there. Did you not pass by sin? Unfortunately, I was told from the moment I was born that I wasn't good enough, that I was defective. My father wanted a son instead of a daughter. Both parents were alcoholic. I was punished for many, many things. And so I grew up with a sense of something being very, very wrong with me all the time. And so, yes, my conversion experience was experiencing the light, experiencing a total separate or different reality from that not good enough, something's wrong with me, sin, badness. So, yeah, it it was a very different experience for me. It was not being convicted of my sin because I spent every waking hour feeling and experiencing that I was not good enough, that I didn't deserve to live. It's so sad that so much of that does happen in the world. Tell us about your next song, because I think somehow this has to do with what you learned, which took you from that, those wounds, and toward the light. So tell us about The Art of Life. Absolutely. The Art of Life was another one of those songs that was completely a gift to me. I was beginning to start my own recovery work. I was in therapy. I was participating in a therapy group that was for adult children of alcoholics. It was in that group that I started remembering that I was also sexually abused as a child. I don't know if anyone who hasn't experienced this, I don't know if it's possible to imagine it or picture it, but... Feeling defective all the time and then having more memories break through about bad stuff that happened really put me over the edge. That There was no way that I was ever going to get close to anybody again. I was suicidal because I didn't want to remember these things. I went through a good solid 10 years of intense recovery work around this eventually learned how to love, eventually learned how to make different choices in my life. I discovered that I myself am an alcoholic and an addict, and I started recovering from those things. You know, early recovery work is really, really hard. I'm not sure how anybody lives through it, except for the grace of God. Miraculously, I came through it somehow. And later met a woman who really enjoyed the poetry of Joan Walsh England. And so she shared it with me. And I had never read poetry by someone who wrote about their spiritual experiences. And this woman did. And I really quickly grew to like her work. The Art of Life is a combination of numerous poems of hers put into one song. It really speaks about hope and about truth. 
my studio name is Amazi Studios. This is where I record and where I do artwork. And Amazi is from Swahili, and it means water. There's a line in The Art of Life, a couple of lines. One seed can start a garden, one drop can start a sea. One doubt can start a hating, one dream can set us free. That's what this Amazi water is about, that one drop can start a sea. You know, one little bit, one little act that we do, one thing that we're faithful in. If we do what we know we're supposed to do, the next right thing, then other things happen. It, it sets other people free to do what they're called to do, what they were meant and born to do. The art of life is to love deeply. In the end, there is only
that was Olivia Pico singing The Art of Life, and it's from a combination of poems by Joan Walsh England. In that song, the emphasis on love and the healing touch of love, I mean, you've got the, the word in there, this much of God I know, in the end there's only love. I guess that's your theological outlook. I mean, really, for a lot of people, God's there, yes, and there's grace, but there's this big ocean of sin. So isn't there also sin and darkness and horribleness, too? Absolutely, there is. I'm not a person who does not believe that evil exists. I know that evil exists. But, as you say, my theology is about focusing on the good that I know, the things that set us free, the things that allow us to be in community with each other, the things that allow us to bring healing to the world. And it's true, you know, one seed can start a garden, one drop can start a sea, one doubt can start a hating, one dream can set us free. A cup of sun, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing, a daisy, a thimble full of snow, a leaf turned red from frost's first touch, this much of God I know. I think it's important for us. You know, we make decisions every day about what we focus on and what we don't focus on. And and this song really is a good picture about what I choose to focus on. And I think you're focusing on these seeds. What kind of seeds are you planting? What kind of seeds are you nurturing? And that refers also to the next song that you've chosen, which is Seeds of Peace. The Seeds of Peace orientation, is this part of the UCC outlook that you brought with you, the Lutheran? Where does the outlook that leads towards peace and becoming manifest Christ and Seeds of Peace in your life, where does that come from? There was a part of my high school years, which I had some friends who were Quaker. I would go to meeting for worship every once in a while, I didn't understand it, I didn't get it, but I liked the people, so I went and hung out with them. This song actually was written when I was part of a federated church that was UCC and Unitarian Universalist. And we were doing a whole Sunday service around the issue of homelessness, which was quickly becoming a problem in my hometown at that time, which was Woodstock, Illinois. So I was asked to write a song about the homelessness issue, and I wrote the song. It was given to me out of a time of prayer. The really interesting thing to me about the song is that when I sang it in church, many people got upset because I used the word Christ in it. I mean, this was supposed to be a federated church of Unitarians and UCC folks, so it really shocked me. I mean, I didn't actually even say Jesus. I just said Christ. Many, many people were upset about that. But nevertheless, it was one of the first times that I had spoken what I believed to be true and had taken flack for it. So it was a good little training ground for me. So you had some connection with the Quaker group there and, of course, friends with their peace orientation. That would be natural. I also, the Quakers were also involved in getting the recycling in our county started. And so I worked on the recycling teams quite often and continued my contact with the Quakers there even while I was part of the UCC Unitarian Church and the Lutheran Church. So often on a Sunday I would go to worship at the Lutheran Church and then I would go and sit with the Quakers and be quiet. And I continued that practice when I moved to Oregon. 
Let's talk more about that in just a moment. Right now, let's listen to the song. It's called Seeds of Peace, and I guess it was written by Olivia Vico when she was yet in high school. Seats of Peace. I did get that right, Olivia, didn't I? You wrote that while you were in high school? No, I was not, but I would have been in my late 20s. You know, considering that I am a half century old today, that was, you know, a quarter of a century ago. Great song with great meaning. You made this transition then, eventually ending up in Oregon, and you're associated with Freedom Friends Church. Tell me a little bit about what that is. It's a brand of Quakerism, but I think it's its own little slice, I think. Yes, we are what has been called a convergent church. We are an independent monthly meeting. We have our own faith and practice, which is also out in print now if anyone wants to order it, or you can access it online at freedomfriends.org. But Freedom Friends is sort of a hybrid between the unprogrammed flavor and the evangelical programmed flavor. And you talked about your leading towards ministry. Is that part of what you do with Freedom Friends? Yes, it is. I do lead music every Sunday, and we have a paid pastor, which is very strange in some Quaker circles, but we are lightly pastoral. 
Peggy Parsons is our pastor. She often is on a trip and does ministry work in other places in the world, and I fill in for her. I also am clerk of the meeting. That involves a lot of planning and and caring for people and making sure all the people are healthy and doing the ministries that they have been given to do. Did you go right to Freedom Friends? Was it associated right at that point with Northwest Yearly Meeting? Was it independent from the start? How did it come about? Were you one of the founders, maybe? Yes, I am one of the founders. And when I first moved to Oregon, I was uh, still in the Lutheran Church and was preparing to go to seminary in the Lutheran tradition. During that time, really was struggling with the issue of communion the outward expression versus the sort of quiet and Quaker way of experiencing and expressing communion. At some point, I felt convinced that I truly was Quaker and made the change, and so I took membership in Newburgh originally and then transferred my membership at some point to Reedwood Friends Church, where it also happens that Peggy Parsons was a member, and I had met her while I was in seminary. She was a speaker in one of my pastoral classes. She came and spoke about the horrific murders of four parishioners in the Scotts Mills Friends Church. A woman and her three girls were murdered by their father and her husband. That was actually her first week as pastor in that church. And fortunately, she had training in mental health issues and in trauma. During the time that she was sharing about that in my class, I felt clear that I was supposed to offer support services for her ministry, meaning administrative services. She spoke in a lot of different places. And I got, (laughs) I don't know how I got it, but I got the impression that she probably needed some administrative help. And I did not get the impression that she wrote things down. When she gave a message, it was in the moment and spontaneous. So anyway, that was how I met Peggy Parsons. And we started actually out of that doing ministry together, traveling ministry. And how does Freedom Friends Church come to be? Peggy and I had been doing traveling ministry for a number of years. Five years ago, actually it would be six years ago now, She was in California, and I was here in Oregon, and I had decided to go to Salem Friends Meeting to visit the unprogrammed friends. And as I was sitting in worship, it became clear to me that we were not going to do traveling ministry anymore, that our ministry was going to be a settled ministry. And for about a year prior to that, I had been visiting a couple of churches in Seattle that were welcoming and affirming congregations. And I experienced (laughs) another whole part of this that we haven't even talked about, Mark, is the fact that I was lesbian. And when I became Christian, I thought that I had to leave that part of my life behind, that I had to be a celibate individual in order to be a part of God's family. And part of my journey was experiencing God's love and realizing that I am made the way that I am by God and am perfectly acceptable to God, even when expressing my sexuality. For a number of years, I was trying to be celibate, and I was celibate, and was trying to be straight, really. That really was not working for me. So this year, 
prior to when I experienced God telling me our ministry would be settled, I had just started to accept that I'm lesbian and that I can actually, while in worship, be all of who I am and not have to leave parts of me outside of the door in order to be acceptable and lovable to God. So this was an incredible turning point for me, and it was part of my desire that I would find a church that would be like that, that would be in my home area. So Peggy and I went through a couple of years' discernment process around what this might look like. We did a a loving and deep discernment process with our church family at Reedwood Friends Church, and I remember the day that we really felt I really felt free to move forward with this was after we had met with them and and they said, you know, we do not feel called to make this thing that you're dreaming about into reality, but we do affirm that your call is real and we bless you on your way. So that was the beginning of Freedom Friends Church and we are open, affirming, and inclusive, which means that people who are lesbian or gay or transsexual or bisexual or straight all have gifts of ministry. Our desire is to help people find what their call is, what their gifts are, what they love to do, what is their passion, and express that in the family of God and not have any restrictions on that except the one that you must not be a harm to yourself or others. It sounds like a wonderful place. If people want to come visit, I think you said the website is freedomfriends.org? Correct. There's a map on the website that shows where we meet, but we meet in a octagonal-shaped building, which is on the ground level, which is wheelchair-accessible, which was very important for us. It's a lovely little building... We went from our three founding members, which was Peggy, myself, and Jane Wheeler, to anywhere on a Sunday between 20 and 30 people. It sounds like it could be a wonderful community. I do hope next time I'm out that way, I'll have a chance to visit with you. That would be lovely. We would welcome you with open arms. It sounds like things really opened for you. I don't know if the sky... I mean, you've had a number of openings along the way, but this is certainly... uh, an opening of blessing to accept your whole self. The next song you chose is Morning Has Broken. I'm wondering if there's any correlation at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Back in my younger years, I listened to a lot of Cat Stevens music, James Taylor, Carol King, Jim Croce, Don McLean, many folk singers, Pete Seeger, and I actually did get to sing with Pete Seeger once uh, when I lived in Illinois. I would call it one of the high points of my life. But this song represents not only the morning breaking and freedom coming, but it also connects me back to the time when other people were singing truth that I couldn't quite claim for myself yet. I assume you heard this song on the radio. I also heard it in church when I was raised Catholic. It's a beautiful song. This version is by Olivia Biko, Morning Has Broken. Morning has broken like the first 
next morning Blackbird has spoken Like the first bird Praise for the singing Praise for the morning Praise for them springing Fresh from the was Morning is Broken by Olivia Biko in this case. Those are big shoes to try and fill walking in the footsteps behind Cat Stevens or Yusuf Islam as he is now known. That's true, but I don't think I was trying to walk in his footsteps, but you know, I sang along with him for many, many years and it just seemed a natural progression or a natural next step for me. Is it one that you have on your site, the oliviabiko.com site? Yes, it is, and it's, it's also available on iTunes or at cdbaby.com. Folks are reminded, Olivia Biko, her name is spelled A-L-I-V-I-A-B-I-K-O.com is her site, and you can also find a link to her site, Nat Freedom Friends, via my northernspiritradio.org site. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, for Song of the Soul, and we've got one more song to go with Olivia Biko. We're going to conclude with Hymn to Joy or Ode to Joy. Tell me why this is in your Song of the Soul, Olivia. This song really brings me full circle. My grandmother played organ, and I know that most of what she played were hymns. I didn't grow up in the church, but I did recognize this tune and the song when I first heard it. For me, it's reclaiming a kernel or a seed of truth from my childhood, something that was a blessing, you know, listening to her play. It's almost, you know, many times I've, I've had the experience where I've, I'll be in church somewhere, and it doesn't matter where in the world I am, but I'll hear a song, and I'll go, I know that song. How do I know that song? And, and for a long time I didn't know, but 
I believe it was because I heard my grandmother play it, and it was one of those moments of joy in, in an otherwise very dark time in my life. It's certainly a song that has inspired many of us, and we hum it to ourselves, we carry it with ourselves. The song is Ode to Joy, or Hymn to Joy, formed here by Olivia Biko. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to thy joy divine. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. That was Ode to Joy, Hymn to Joy, by Olivia Biko. Which is the correct name, or are they both right? They are both right. Ode to Joy is the name of the tune, and Hymn to Joy is the tune with the words. I should have known. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a long time coming. I, I think maybe I first talked to you two years ago, Olivia. You've been having your challenges, and I think you're doing well now? Yes, I have been having challenges, and I'm doing very, very well now, and really enjoying celebrating life every day. And it's been a joy, it's been a delight to uh, be with you today. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome, Olivia. Again, you can find more about Olivia and her music via her website, oliviabico.com. You'll find a link, of course, on my site. And she joined us today from Salem, Oregon. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, 
Join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can 